The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. It doesn't matter what you feel about immigration. It has nothing to do with that. By doing what she did, she put law enforcement in jeopardy. 100%. And protected people who aren't just illegals, but people who have likely done other things that are bad. Well, not just that. You put other people's in front. Like, America was second in her mindset. The Morning Blaze, weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Week to week, you get the voice of a reformist Muslim, somebody who loves America but believes it is up to American Muslims to step up, stop the belly aching, stop the victimology, and begin to take ownership of who we are and begin to stake out a solution, a solution to the problem that is the root cause of radical Islam. Week to week, I try to find those battlefronts that aren't too hard to find if you're paying attention to what's happening in the world of where we can navigate the areas that need reform together. And I think while you might say that the population in America is small, as far as Muslims are concerned, we have a unique laboratory where I can do the work like this, that others can do the work to begin to confront the establishment, confront those who control our faith and are unwilling to reform. There's a lot to talk about, as always, but this week, this week I have to dive in to this nauseating, nauseating onslaught of PR, PR agnosium about Saudi Arabia. MBS, 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 everywhere, MBS. He was interviewed on 60 Minutes. He was highlighted in the Wall Street Journal. He was on Fox News. He was on CBS, NBC, every network you turn. MBS, the 32-year-old crown prince who defied the odds and bypassed many other heirs to the throne because he's bringing reform, because he's brazen, because he's brave and courageous. Tom Friedman, as I remind you, however many months ago, called this little spoiled kid the Arab Spring that we've been waiting for in Saudi Arabia. And that was before the PR onslaught. Now, Saudi Arabia finds itself, in some ways, rightly, with finally a president that we haven't had for eight years that is recalibrating the Middle East back to, I think it was a fake stability, but at least a stability that we had in the 20th century. And we're beginning to understand what a more balanced Middle East can look like when we don't have a president who is bowing with bended knee to the Khomeinists, to an Iran deal, and that everything was sacrificed in the Middle East and with American interests in the Middle East at the altar of the Iran deal. Let's put a little perspective on this. Before I get to why I've been so horrifically nauseated by the coverage of MBS, because it's just been dishonest. It really has been dishonest. MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, the heir apparent now designated by King Salman, the octogenarian who identified his successor, has been implementing some reforms. He has been talking a talk and walking a walk that is a bit different than his predecessors. Finally, talking about giving women the right to drive, uh, beginning to marginalize the spread of evangelical Islamism around the world, political Islam, which he identified in the Wall Street Journal interview. Which So there are things there that I'll even get to further that look like maybe there's some real reform happening. It seems to be the lowest hanging fruit. It seems to be enough to please most Americans that I've talked to. Now, is that a sign of how abysmal the Saudis were before? Is it a sign of ignorance? 
Is it a sign of the security equation that we apply with no other critical lens to Saudi Arabia? I think it's all of the above. But as we look at the perspective, remember, President Obama, after President Bush in 9-11, who had established a strong relationship with Saudi Arabia, but Saudi Arabia was set back significantly as we looked at 15 of the 19 hijackers after 9-11 as having come from Saudi Arabia, Senate hearings. I remember at the time our Senator Kyle was, was very instrumental in exposing the need to expose the funding of Saudis into the West, of radicalizing Muslims, of pushing them towards Al-Qaeda, and the Saudis' immigration into the United States for education and other exchange programs decreased significantly. So during the Bush era, especially then as we went to Iraq, there was a coalition of the willing, it was called, uh, who worked with Saudi Arabia in order to create a coalition of nations that joined us in defeating Saddam Hussein. Then we had a significant whiplash as the United States reeled from war fatigue. And we had a president, President Obama, then who was elected basically as the non-war president who bizarrely received the Nobel Peace Prize. And I will footnote that and remind you that the Nobel Committee now is having buyer's remorse. It's actually publicly saying they wish they had not given him the peace prize. And again, that's because of Syria. It's because of the genocide that's evolved there, the devolution of the Middle East, quickly based upon Obama's weak, weak, pathetic policies that handed the Middle East to Iran, Hezbollah, Assad, Russia, China, and every other Darwinian power monger across the region. So the perspective is that that eight years of Obama left the Saudis struggling to try to find any footholding. They, they were left without American support. They were isolated, and it caused them to act out. They then saw Assad weakened, so they went all in in the Syrian revolution, ended up radicalizing that revolution, because again, the only export other than oil that the Saudis do well is radical Islam. And they may say, oh, we're against the Islamists, we're against the Brotherhood. They export Salafi Wahhabi Jihadism, Salafi Jihadism, which is a fundamentalist, black and white interpretation of Islam that believes in military jihad, that believes in dominance. You can argue whether they are against the viral grassroots Islamists. They claim they're, not, they're against them. But the idea, the trough of ideas is the same. So the perspective is that's where President Trump took over. He then goes to the Middle East, stops first in Saudi Arabia to reset that relationship. They know that now the Iran deal, which was a horrible deal, is probably going to be unilaterally withdrawn from by the United States unless it can be completely redone in a way that makes much more sense. So they feel empowered. They felt empowered to the point that they did a blockade against Qatar, which has been all in with Iran, shares natural gas fields with them, which, which economically and ideologically has been all in with the Brotherhood. And we saw the Muslim Brotherhood marginalized, the princes that were put into confinement at the Ritz-Carlton by the king's regime were those that were basically not, he said it was about corruption, etc. I think it was about consolidation of power. It was about marginalizing those that were working with the Brotherhood globally. So we saw a shift. So the perspective is, I think rightly so, President Trump is recalibrating that balance. Just like in India and Pakistan, there's been a balance there for some time that has prevented all-out war in that region. There was a balance between the Saudi Sunni Gulf states, if you will, and the Khomeinist Iranian axis. We thought the Iranian axis would be weakened significantly by Iraq becoming a democracy, or at least a revolution against a, a, a dictator. We even played 
one dictator against the other in the old 20th century policy of supporting a, a heinous regime of the of the Saddam against the Khomeinis. A million lives later, both countries ended that war. And we ended up ending Saddam a few decades later. So the perspective is tyrant to tyrant, whack-a-mole to whack-a-mole, the ideology, the trough in which these regimes survive is one of fascist secular militarism and or a combination thereof with theocratic Islamism. And they've been fighting against the brew of radical Islam, uh, you know, that viral Islamist movement that they often create because it legitimizes, legitimizes dictatorial control. The era of revolutions in 2011, I think, ushered in a period in which we no longer needed to look at the 20th century model of military solutions, and we could look then now at more civil society building, revolutions against dictatorships, representative government, in which we could begin to find groups of movements, of societies, of communities that we could share values with versus simply helping the enemy of our enemy. But what has that gotten us? As many rightly say, the Arab Spring has turned into a major vacuum and disaster in many countries, especially my parents' motherland of Syria. And by the way, with no small thanks to Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Qatar, and many of the so-called allies that we have, and what they've done to radicalize what was initially, I think, a moral revolution against Assad. And I say initially because it was hijacked by the Turks, by the Islamists, by the Jibat al-Nusras, al-Qaeda, and the Muslim Brotherhood advocates around the world that filled in that vacuum not for liberty, but for theocracy. So, we're not naive to the history, we're not naive to where we came from, but in the next segment, I want to talk to you. I'm going to use the interview, the so-called journalistic interview that O'Donnell did on CBS 60 Minutes, to lay out how absurd the American conversation has become about Saudi Arabia. Should we look at Saudi Arabia simply through the lens of a security apparatus of a country of 25, 30 million as how it protects our interests? Or do we promote those who share our values, prisoners of conscience in Saudi Arabia that should be released, should be talked about, should be discussed on a daily, if not hourly basis through social media? Not one question. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get to that in a sec. And it, it just it just riles me more than I I can even express. At how little the real values of America were articulated by not only 60 Minutes interview, but most of the media, the sycophantic media coverage of MBS. And I think it's perspective based. Look at where we came from. I laid that out earlier few minutes ago here right i mean i'm not naive to where we came from but but come on do we learn nothing from the 20th century those dictatorships those tyrannical regimes created a cauldron that brewed radical islam we have to get out of that cycle and that cycle might include that cycle might include stepping back allowing revolutions to happen that might be worse than what the dictatorship was but in the long term it'll be headed towards evolution towards democratic society, I believe, as the West went through. When we come back, let's talk about that sham, that sham of journalism malpractice that happened on 60 Minutes with MBS. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. 
the Glenn Beck Program. I hate to, you know, ask everybody to put that on their big pants here for a second, but Facebook isn't doing any of this. We are, okay? Facebook is playing off us, but you're smart enough to figure this out, that there's an algorithm that gives you what you want and what you like. See the button that says like? That means if you're a capitalist, I'm going to give you more of what you like, less of what you don't like. That's capitalism. That's the way this is working. The Glenn Beck Program. Reaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. As I said at the end of my book of A Battle for the Soul of Islam, I wrote a letter to my kids and I said, there's one metaphor that in my lifetime, if it ever changes, I think will be a signal that Islam can be reformed, that Muslims can be reformed, that we can modernize and come to terms of modernity. And that symbol is the most perverse dichotomy on the planet, which is at the time of Hajj and pilgrimage, inside the Grand Mosque, you have men and women walking next to each other, praying together, races of all kind walking next to each other, praying together, no materialism, no uh, uh, racism, no sexism, simply worshiping God, circumambulating around the Kaaba, day after day after day for the 10 days of Hajj, the, the mandatory pilgrimage that every Muslim must do. And then yet outside that mosque is one of the most racist, misogynist, tyrannical, theocratic regimes on the planet in which women don't have rights, in which races, in which every individual is not a Saudi royal, a Saudi citizen, is treated as a third and fourth class citizen, in which materialism reigns to the point of pathological abandonment of what I believe are real Judeo-Christian Islamic values, a sickening amount of a lack of morality, character, integrity of a royal family and society that has robbed its citizens of its universal human rights. And that's outside the mosque that I believe, as a Muslim, was the place where our faith started, is a place where the monotheistic traditions are represented. And if that ever changed, if that dichotomy was ever ever equilibrated, in which the principles of the pilgrimage were brought to that state, it abandoned theocracy, it allowed individuals to be free under God and not under their Saudi flag and not under their uh, uh, theocratic state and Sharia courts, then there would be hope for global Islam because that central cancer cell while that tribe has been exaggerated, as so many of my friends who I respect and love will tell you, and I've talked to them about before, is that, that that royal family would be nothing, would be a gnat on the rear of a camel in Saudi Arabia. The House of Saud had the British or whoever it was at the time that decided to hand them that country and the oil in which they said that they are the custodians of the Grand Mosque. The custodians! Somehow, Islam determined that the House of Saud would be the custodians of the Grand Mosque. So saith the carving up of countries after World War II, and thus becomes the central concentration of wealth in one family that then exports, as Jim Woolsey has said many times, exports ideology in the hundreds of billions of dollars across the planet at the tunes of Petro-Islam to radicalize a single version of Islam that would have been a gnat on the back of a camel, where Ibn Abdul Wahhab, a fundamentalist from the 19th century who would have been nothing but a militant fundamentalist Salafi jihadi in the middle of the Nejd, the desert of Saudi Arabia, became much more because of Petro-Islam. And now we're left in the 21st century, still trying to rebalance and rebalance the old Sunni Shia, rivalry in which you have two sides of the same militant Islamist coin. One side Sunni of the Salafi Wahhabis and the Muslim Brotherhood and the other side Shia of the Khomeinis and the Hezbollah. 
That's the same formula since the seventh century, only a few years after the president after the Prophet Muhammad passed away. Let's look at this interview, this the sycophantic interview that sixty minutes did in the name of journalism with the heir to the throne who talks to sixty minutes and talks to Nora O'Donnell. She asks him, Oh Prince what many Americans think about Saudi Arabia, they think about Osama bin Laden in 9-11. And he said, right. And he went into CIA documents. And again, the narrative is still about 9-11. So she started the interview. I'm sorry, Nora, but we're well beyond 9-11. How about asking him about why ISIS came out of nowhere and their courts seem to do the same evils to their people as the Saudi courts do? Why is that ideology not much different? The founding fathers of ISIS are who? Not according to Rand Paul, who says it's Obama, but rather the majority of the ideology, that the ideological founding fathers of ISIS, she should have asked him, is the Saudi royal family. So why just focus on bin Laden and Al-Qaeda? She asked him, are you working hard? Seriously, that's, that's a question. She asked him, are you working hard? He said, always. What's been your biggest challenge? That's the hard-hitting 60 minutes. What has been your biggest challenge? This is nuts. There's a widespread perception that the kind of Islam practice inside our Saudi Arabia is harsh. It's strict. It's intolerant. Is there any truth to that? That's the questions we ask MBS. And he said, after 79, that's true. We were victims. The man with billions of dollars who later in the interview admits to taking back $100 billion from other princes says that he was victims, especially my generation that suffered from this a great deal. He's talking about when the Grand Mosque and the Wahhabi terrorists took it over. And they came to an agreement in which they handed them the judiciary and the educational system. Now, he traces it to when the Ayatollah established an Islamic theocracy next door in Iran. The same year, though, that religious extremists in Saudi Arabia took over Islam's holiest sites. He said that's not the real Saudi Arabia. His constant narrative in interviews recently has been we need to get Saudi Arabia back to the time before 79 when it was when women were free, when people walked in the streets in modernity. Do you notice how the Saudis really they talk about 2030 plans, but somehow their plans are always about 620, about 1950. It's always going backwards. This is the way the fossilized thinking is, even of a 32-year-old who might know Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat. But I've had some Twitter debates, by the way, with folks from the Saudi regime, who some of whom are in America. And I asked them, I've asked every one of them, please name for me one product, one free market invention that Saudi Arabia has come up with. They can't come up with anything. Crickets crickets when you have a government that 90% of its people are employed by the Saudi government they're not going to come up with anything that's based in ingenuity free markets creativity and based on free market incentives so did she 60 minutes ask him about that no and then if you do question them they say oh this stuff takes Give them a few minutes. You want change in 10 seconds. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. We've been talking this song and dance for the last 100 years. Since the House of Saud took over in the early 20th century, they've been talking about modernization. Since 9-11, it's been 17 years. They've been talking about modernization. Every time they get tight, they roll out the red carpet, spend millions on PR, and American population gets dizzied with their 
Hollywood-esque sort of fancy and 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 marvel at the at the uh, uh, Casablanca approach to the Middle East, and we forget that there's human beings there in those populations that are treated in a heinous way. That Saudi Arabia is executing genocidal campaigns in Yemen right now, while Khomeini and the Iranians execute similarly, if not worse, genocidal campaigns in Syria. There's enough to go around of war, pestilence, misogyny. Meanwhile, we're asking them, what is your biggest challenge? While we promise them, as President Trump did, a $150 billion arms deal, while we promise them to help them in their new high-tech counterterrorism center opening in Riyadh. And I'll reiterate, it's like opening a counter-drug interdiction center in Colombia. These guys might be with us against viral gang violence, as the some of the drug guys in coats and ties might be, that might not even use that much of the substance, but yet spread it all over the planet and say they're against violence. So the Islamism is being spread all over the planet. The Saudis might be trying to rein in, but they're worried about consolidating their power. And the identity of their country is based in Islamism. So, listen, I've had enough with words. If they show us real reform, I'm all ears. If they start building centers of anti-Wahhabism, pro-liberty, humanity schools in Saudi Arabia... My ears will perk up. If they start talking about ending the concept of the Islamic State, ending the concept of the Caliphate, internationalizing the control of Mecca, instead of their single royal family, beginning to create an economy that's no longer dependent on oil, but rather dependent on human ingenuity, and rewarding human ingenuity and free markets, and giving women the right to property, giving their citizens the right to electoral representation... I might listen. But telling me they're going to drive in six months and maybe they won't have to have a man's permission to travel or, or work, that's not reform. That's window dressing. Real reform is if they start addressing some of the passages in the Quran that their translations, it's not just about, it's not just about the hate that they're whiting out, the, the anti-Semitism and other pathological aspects, but that's all part of the same supremacist ideology. And as I've told you over and over on this program, you can't treat radical Islam without treating the theocracy. You can't treat Saudi Arabia and believe MBS unless he starts treating the theocracy, not just the viral Islamism, but the corporate Islamism, Ending the Islamism, the Islamic State political identity. Ending the Sharia-driven legal system of Saudi Arabia and beginning to look at a westernized civil system, legal system, a republic based in reason rather than based in scriptural exegesis. The malpractice, the, the, the journalistic malpractice that was this 60 Minutes interview goes on and on. She even asked him about the financial crisis of Saudi Arabia, and he said, oh, it was close. And uh, she asked him about the power grab, and he said, well, you know, I was in a position of power, so that's not a power grab. He called her naive for asking him that, and actually, he's right about that. It wasn't just a power grab. He was changing the economic agenda of folks who were setting their own economic agenda. So he was actually creating a much more centralized economic mission by reining in the support of Islamist movements, the the wanton spending that was often outside what was Saudi nationalism. So there's no doubt he reined in and now has fortified a more Saudi nationalistic approach But it's still in the name of corporate Islamism, that Sharia state, that Wahhabi state. He may be trying to modernize some things and put some beautiful curves on the edges of his little nuclear cancer cell, which is the Islamic state of Saudi Arabia. But unless they talk about core reforms, 
as the West went through during the Enlightenment, this is a waste of time. Enough with the words, enough with the promises. Don't you think all of you, haven't you had enough of promises? Haven't you had enough of being told tomorrow, next month, next year, while they continue to radicalize movements in Syria and elsewhere? What are the ideas that Muslims in the Middle East are going to grab onto if the folks with hundreds of millions of dollars are buying paintings, yachts, and other things that this king and his crown prince are buying? $300 million on a painting for the Louvre, which he could have done to build humanities universities, journalism centers, think tanks against political Islam as he claims to be against. But no, he's really doing a security operation. Who did the MBS visit during this visit? National Security Council, Department of Treasury, the White House, and the Pentagon. That is not an itinerary of somebody who's really talking about modernizing his country liberalizing its educational system it's a sham it's a complete sham we'll be back this is Zudi Jasser and reform this breaching the fault lines of today this is reform this with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. We're talking about Saudi Arabia. We're talking about MBS. Mohammed bin Salman, the great reformer, the guy who's going to bring change to Saudi Arabia. And I know, I know, I know, I sound like the pessimist, the constant pessimist, the bad... The guy that just doesn't want to see good where there's good, and maybe this guy can bring in and usher in a future change. Listen, all I'm telling you is I'll believe it when it happens, okay? So far, they've announced, again, the women driving in a few months. Talk to some women might be important, yeah, absolutely. But it's not a big top 10 human right. Top 10 human right for women would be property would be the ability to work independently of their husbands, travel independently, equality. Nora O'Donnell asked him in that interview in 60 Minutes, do you believe in the equality of men and women? And MBS's answer, absolutely, through they are human beings and they're equal. Did she ask him, well, what is it about the cult of your family that is polygamous and your father or grandfather that had 12 wives and multiple wives and hundreds of children and grandchildren, and you, you all see me. You're married to your cousin, I believe. Why didn't she ask him that? Oh, that would be insulting. He'd probably end the interview right there and kick her out. Well, that, there you go. It shows that the only interviews that are done, just like the interviews of Assad or the interviews of Khomeini or any of them by the West, they've turned into bizarre, absurd interviews of fascists. So MBS might be moderating compared to his father, his grandfather, whatever it might be. He's not shown the medal of reform. Oh, did she ask him, about, well, what's this with WWE having a royal takedown? 50, the royal 50 takedown. That That's supposed to be reform? Seriously? Now we are championing reform through fake wrestling fake wrestling it's not even real wrestling it's fake and that's the, to bring an, an, an interview that was about economic and cultural reform of Saudi Arabia that was what Al Arabiya and other Saudi paid outlets talked about and that's the reform no reform is about economic freedom freedom to assemble did she ask him about any of the prisoners of conscience Rafe Bedoui, his attorney, on and on, hundreds upon hundreds of Muslims, Sunni, Shia, Baha'i, atheists, Christians, put in jail for sorcery, put in jail for apostasy, supposedly put in jail for 
criticizing Islam, blasphemy, and yet they just liked a Facebook page that was Christian. And yet they might have just criticized the government. They might have just criticized people in power, and they were put in jail for criticizing Islam. And then you wonder where the word Islamophobia comes from. Regimes like that survive in a climate where the oxygen is only given to you as a citizen when you don't criticize Islam. And Islam is everything. It's the government. It's the, it's the royal family. It's the culture. Everything becomes Islam, and criticism of the Islamic way of life becomes Islamophobia, becomes bigotry, becomes apostasy, becomes blasphemy. This is the society that's become Saudi Arabia. So no, I am not going to just believe a bunch of words from a silver-spooned, spoiled brat that is like the rest of the royal family that just tells people what they want to hear and pays tens of millions of dollars for a PR campaign for a few months as he comes here. No. How about we believe the women on the streets of Saudi Arabia? How about we believe and ask them, why did you take a check... The Saudi government, by the way, where was the Arab awakening in 2011? It almost happened. The Saudis didn't know what to do, so they decided to send, I guess the estimates were around $40,000 check to every Saudi citizen as a royalty, a surprise bonus for you from the coffers of Petro-Islamic State of Saudi Arabia. And all of a sudden, the quiet quelled as people said oh this might go away if we destabilize the economy destabilize the system across the red sea now we see the revolution there beginning to pull money out of banks because the economic stability of the regime is what is its lifeblood and if they can destabilize it they will topple the Khomeinists in iran and every regime knows that did 60 minutes ask them about that nope Nope. So, yeah, there were some geopolitics discussed. But at the end of the day, you know, cultures have to evolve. People have to evolve. And they come towards a sense of respect for the individual. They might devolve. Iran devolved now for 30-plus years after the Shah. It became a more draconian, more theocratic nation. It was a dictatorship. It was an autocracy under the Shah. But since 79, it devolved. But now, as it evolves out of theocracy, it could have only gone through towards a green revolution, towards a more democratic society, if it had experienced the Shah, if it had experienced Khomeinism. So we, as a country, shouldn't have to send our military to these whack-a-mole programs. But... We need to ensure they don't get nuclear weapons if they are Khomeinists, that they don't get regional power to spread their ideas, and we don't continue to drink from their trough of petrol that would continue to fuel our antagonists, our enemies against Western society. So we need to stop looking at short-term solutions, but begin to look at long-term. The same old lies are coming from the regime. The same old lies, the cancer of the theocratic core of the Saudi regime continues. And I'm sorry, WWE matches in Riyadh and a sycophantic 60 Minutes interview is not the solution to the Middle East. So we need to be tougher. We need to be tougher. We need to um, have a purpose, have a strategy. What does victory look like? What does victory look like in the Middle East? It's victory for the people of the Middle East, of what they want. We can't continue to do this game of thrones. And I'm sorry, this is what I have seen in the approach to the Middle East, and especially It continues. It was not partisan. It was that way with Bush. It was that way definitely with Obama, who thought he liked the thrones of Iran. And now the Game of Thrones has resumed with the young prince, the crown prince, who is ascendant. And 
BS. <laughs> yep, MBS. And I'm going to continue to believe it's BS until I start to see some real changes. Hold them accountable. If they do really change, begin to reinterpret passages of the Quran that enable that enable misogyny versus equality, passages of hadith interpretation that enable deep anti-Semitism. What are they going to do with that? White it out or actually reinterpret it? The crown prince never gets into that, was never forced to, was never pushed to get into it. Maybe his PR handlers didn't let them. And they said the interview would end if they were asked. MBS is all about consolidation, make no mistake. It's all about consolidation of power, economic, cultural, and religious. Marginalization of viral Islamist groups and lifting up of corporate board of directors type Islamist control from the House of Saud. So that's what his trip was about as he visited the NSC Department of Treasury, etc. Please, we need to start asking about prisoners of conscience. We need to start asking them about, we will believe they're about reform when they start letting people out of prisons. It is unconscionable malpractice that Nora O'Donnell did not ask him about Rafe Bedoui. Unconscionable. And I'm sorry, they burned through any rational person's faith in their promised reforms back in the 20th century. I'm done with words. I'm done with promises. I'll gladly discuss human rights when they want, when they actually start to exist, when he mentions human rights. He did not mention human rights because MBS and his family know they run an open-air prison where some citizens get a great payday and get sent to America, as some of the folks that were debating me on Twitter this week with their hate for America, with their hate for my openness and transparency and actually they called me the bigot when in fact they are the bigots the worst bigots against the muslim community are the royal family types who believe that the arabs of the nejd the peninsula of saudi arabia are their property that somehow they are the only smart ones that the arabs if they had real educational systems and 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 more broadened liberal education would somehow become unmanageable that's how you legitimize slavery and that's what the arab autocrats kleptocrats and monarchs legitimize so are we a country that believes in principles and universal human rights or are we a country that looks at shortcuts and the enemy of our enemy becomes our friend and our gas tank becomes our friend all right Enough on Saudi Arabia. When we come back, let's look at a few other areas in the Middle East and areas for reform. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Pat Gray. Oakland is a city of immigrants, she said. We will continue to exercise our legal right to exist as a sanctuary city. You don't have a legal right. It's unconstitutional to do what you're doing. She further said, we're all immigrants. I love that phrase. You know, to a certain extent, it's it's somewhat true. Wait. If you add the word legal to it. Pat Gray. Weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This. I want to end with a little hat tip to the Trump administration. You know, we've lived through, as I mentioned, I think in the first segment, eight years of just obsequious, obsequious appeasement and sycophancy to the Iranian regime. And just a few days ago was the holiday that happens annually around March 21st of Nowruz. It's a secular holiday. It's an Iranian holiday. And every year it's been traditional for the President of the United States to release a statement to the Iranian people on that holiday. 
if I had the stomach, I'd read to you President Obama's statements, but it was all about how, and it always sprinkles in some politics. It's an interesting thing. It's not just Obama who did that, but most of the presidents have done that and wish them prosperity, wish them, wish them health, talk to them about how the nuclear deal was going to bring them a new era of economic stability and cooperation between nations in which barriers will be brought down on and on and on. So my hat tip this week to the Trump administration, their statement, whoever wrote it in the White House needs to be congratulated. The statement on Nauru's really is 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 a stark is a stark difference from the absurd absurd obsequiousness that the Obama administration had released and I think it's important because these types of statements just like President Reagan's statements from the White House reminded the people of the Soviet Union the Natan Sharanskis of the world that we were we were with them this statement I thought was beautiful he wished the Trump administration, President Trump, wished them a blessed Nauru's to the millions of people around the world celebrating the arrival of spring. And then he talked about its history. 25 centuries ago, he talked about Darius the Great asked God to protect Iran. But today, the Iranian regime's Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps represents all three, all three dangers that... They had asked God to protect them from hostile armies, drought, and falsehood. The IRGC is not Iranian name or deed. It is a hostile army that brutalizes and steals from the Iranian people to fund terrorism abroad. He spent, the IRGC has spent more than $16 billion of Iran's wealth to prop up the Assad regime and support militants and terrorists in Syria, Iraq, and Yemen. Meanwhile, the average Iranian family is 15% poorer today than it was 10 years ago, and nearly 30% of Iran's youth are unemployed. Ordinary Iranians struggle economically and find it difficult to celebrate holidays like Nowruz. Here is a statement that tells the Iranian people your destitution, your struggles, are a result of your own government's corruption. The evil of the fascism of your theocracy is the problem. It's not a bunch of false lies from the Obama administration telling them, oh, our pallets of cash that come, the deal will stabilize your country. What hogwash that was. The money was used to go right to Assad, was used to further suffocate them. The people in the streets now in Iran are telling the world that they are much worse off since the Iran deal than before. President Trump goes on, for this reason, the Department of Treasury today is issuing guidance, reaffirming America's support for the free flow of information to the citizens of Iran. We also pledge to continue holding the IRGC and the Iranian regime accountable for conducting cyber attacks abroad and for suppressing Iranian citizens who are protesting the oppression of their government at home. On behalf of the American people, may light prevail over darkness in this new year, and may the Iranian people soon enjoy a day of peace, prosperity, and joy. And before that, he said, We long, they long, for a springtime of hope, and the United States stands with the Iranian people in their aspirations to connect to the wider world and have a responsible and accountable government, accountable government that truly serves the nation's interests. I, it's refreshing. Now, I hope those words, we were talking about words and actions, I hope those words are backed up with materiel support, with strategic support, with on the street support, with civil society support. And it doesn't have to be finance. It just can be redirected strategically through already existing funding through public diplomacy programs. Now we've heard, by the way, a, 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 another hat tip to Heather Nauert, who was advanced uh, due to the wonderful departure of Secretary Tillerson. Now she was advanced from his press secretary to undersecretary for public diplomacy. I think one of the most coveted positions 
not only the State Department and government, since it's really she will be leading the information ops for the advancement of liberty abroad, not just the advancement of America, the advancement of liberty abroad. I've always followed her on Twitter. I remember her interviews uh, on Fox when she was a uh, host on Fox and Friends in the morning. So congratulations to Heather. And uh, I think this is the type of person we need in that position. A woman, a, uh, a fearless anchor that uh, will, I believe, begin to engage media, engage populations at the grassroots. She had tweets out this week mocking President Assad for driving through the streets of Ghouta in a fascist way and how absurd it was that as he drove through, she said, stop your car and help the people that you're driving by. It'll be great to see her succeed. She succeeds, we succeed, and the people who want to be free will succeed. These are the statements to the Iranian regime, to the Iranian people especially, that we should have been making a long time ago. Will it be followed by actions? I hope so. I hope it's not only through information ops, but through strategic ops, through weakening of the information system in Iran, the best anti-nuclear program against the Iranian regime is destabilization and ultimately a support of revolution. Their economy is weakening. And we have to be on the watch because China, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, offered to bail out the Iranian government because its economy is weakening significantly, despite the billions despite the billions. So, it'll be a new day, a new day across the Middle East when the people prevail, not the MBS. Maybe the MBS is May assured, and we'll wait and see. But God bless the people of the world who want to be free, Wish the Iranian people a happy no ruse, those who want to be free, those who don't. I don't wish you that. Not to the Khomeinists. And next week, I'm sure there'll be a lot more to talk about. Thank you again for being with me this week. God bless you. God bless the United States of America. This is your faithful, humble, American Muslim patriot and correspondent, Zudi Jasser, signing out. God bless. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.